The Cape Up Podcast is sponsored by Pharma, where the 140,000 researchers with America's biopharmaceutical companies are finding new cures and treatments for diseases like hepatitis C, HIV, and diabetes. Visit GoBoldly.com. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. Robert Runcie instituted two changes when he became the superintendent of the Broward County Schools in 2011. He started a new disciplinary program for troubled students, and he required all high school and middle school students to take a debate class. Those two initiatives came into focus on February 14th, the day Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School became the scene of one of the deadliest mass shootings in U.S. history, the day that gave rise to the Parkland Generation. This conversation originally took place at the Aspen Ideas Festival in Aspen, Colorado, on June 30th. It's been edited for content and clarity. Robert Runcie, thank you very much for being here. Um, you got to the Broward County Schools in 2011? Yes, that's correct. What, what were the schools like when you got there? And you came in from Chicago. Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty challenging time. I came in nine months after... Uh, a couple board members had actually been arrested. Um, this, the district uh, was out of compliance with um, class size. We also had a number of uh, financial issues going on at the district. Um, we were losing students. The prior three years, they'd lost about 8,000 students exiting to go to charters or, or private schools. There were a large number of students that are being suspended and arrested. In fact, the largest number of suspensions and arrests in the state were occurring in Broward County. How many numbers are we talking about in terms of suspensions and arrests? Uh, so time? suspensions were probably north of 60, 70,000. Um, I don't know exactly what the number of arrests are, but that was the general backdrop. <clears throat> and I'd also say at that time, a new school board came in, um, a school board that was really focused on, on change and remedying these situations and wanted to bring in um, someone from the outside with a background, not just in education, but in dealing with a large complex organizations. I mean, Broward is the sixth largest school system in the country. Um, it has about 272,000 students, um, 30,000 employees, half of them teachers, um, and a $4 billion budget. Uh, we have the largest transportation system in the county, over 1,000 buses on the street every day. Um, we serve over 35 million meals um, to students. So it, it's not only an education institution, it's a large, complex um, logistical operation. So you come in, if you, if you go to the Broward County uh, Schools website, there's a, a mission statement. Yes. And it says, to ensure, in part, to, to ensure that we give every single child who shows up an environment where they can achieve their potential. So you come in in 2011. The Broward County Schools District is a mess. And as you just explained, um, one of the things you did in terms of suspensions and arrests of students was to take a look at the zero tolerance policy and the disciplinary policy. What did you do and how did you go about changing what, yeah. what was in place when you got there? So uh, in the fall of 2011, I came in October. Uh, within a couple of months after that, we were looking at our data and recognizing this situation that was going on with our, our students with a large number of um, suspensions and arrests. Um, which was also disproportionately impacting um, students of poverty, of color, in particular black male youth, and our special needs um, students. Um, so 
I actually had an interesting conversation with our local chapter of the NAACP, which was very tuned into this issue and had been challenging the school district for years, but no traction on this issue. So what we ultimately did was recognize that this is not a school system problem. This is a countywide community issue. And so we convened a working group of all the entities that touch kids in terms of juvenile justice, social service, et cetera. So we had local law enforcement entities at the table, such as the Broward Sheriff's Office, the Fort Lauderdale Police Department. We had the public defender. We had the state's attorney. We had the Department of Juvenile Justice. We had social service agencies like our Children's Services Council. We had state and local elected officials. We had um, some judges on it to deal with the juvenile courts. Um, so all these folks came together for a year, um, studied our data, studied our policies, and ultimately what they decided was that there were 13 misdemeanor nonviolent offenses which were actually identified in state statute. These are incidents that don't create any um, safety or security issues for a school. So it could be vandalism, under $1,000, petty theft of something that is valued at less than $300, um, trespassing. But these are things that kids were actually being arrested or they were actually being expelled from school. So what was happening, you would have students that were being suspended from school. Um, so they were like either sitting at home or they were on the street. And they were there, out there for three or five days and then they would come back to school. During those three or five days, they were getting into trouble. Sometimes they were breaking into homes. It was actually creating a problem for the community. So what we developed was a change in our policies to identify these nonviolent misdemeanor offenses. And then what was the intervention that we were going to provide? So we created a program called PROMISE, which stood for um, preventing re recidivism through opportunities for mentoring, intervention, um, education, support. Support, yes. Right. So <laughs> all right of these here. things actually uh, were, were put together to uh, provide interventions for kids. As an alternative to putting them out on the street, they would actually go into a program where they were meeting with counselors, social workers, um, and there was specific interactions with them relative to uh, the behavior issue. The whole point was to get to the root cause of what's causing this child's behavior. And I'll just give you an, the, some of the outcome. You find out that there's a lot of issues going on at home or in the community impacting these kids. I mean, the last year, I believe, over 400 families were referred to other social service agencies. So it's, it's really trying to impact the, 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 the student, also providing feedback and information to the school. And based on the data that we have and seen from the program over uh, the past several years, uh, we about somewhere close to 90%, between 80 and 90% of students um, have not had um, repeat offenses. Um, we've seen about a 60% reduction um, in the number of referrals that have come up. We've seen significant reductions in um, suspensions uh, in a district as well. So we do see it having an impact. We have our highest graduation rates since they've been tracked uh, by the federal government. Um, so we're, we're seeing progress um, in the system. Certainly there are things to be fixed and we can do more. Mm -hmm. And, and we'll, we'll be talking about that in yep. a second. Another thing that you instituted, so aside from the disciplinary um, issues and the zero tolerance uh, issues that you addressed, you also addressed curriculum. And the one curriculum change that you instituted 
that is getting a lot of attention is the debate requirement, yeah. where every high school, every middle school, and increasingly um, elementary yeah. schools are required to go through this debate program. Why debate? I will tell you that debate is one of these interdisciplinary opportunities that can be transformative for students. So the ability to um, go and look at information, be able to tell real news from fake news, being able to then analyze that information, take a position on it, communicate that effectively, and do that in a very um, respectful, thoughtful way has just been uh, one of those things that we've seen have a huge impact on students. I remember having a conversation with uh, one student. You know, he told me his story about how he, when he got to high school in ninth grade, he was kind of a disconnected student. He even thought about dropping out. Um, a friend suggested that he go in next year and, and look at the debate program he was in. He got involved with debate. Fast forward to the end of that year, we have our high school graduations and who's sitting up on the stage? He is. He's a valedictorian of his class. He's got a full scholarship to the University of Chicago. So those are the kind of things that we see happening over and over again with our students. And we do it with an agenda around equity. So when we have these programs, and it's the largest debate program in the world, it's not that we're just trying to make it the largest debate program in the world, but we're doing it in a way that's equitable to ensure there's access for all students. Um, we've even gone out of our way to partner with local law firms and businesses, um, and they donate um, suits and business attire for our students. So those that can't afford it, we're removing the barriers for them to get involved in our debate program. One thing I didn't hear you say, and maybe you said it and I, I missed it, Citizenship, that does the debate program instill more, a, more of a recognition of their role as a citizen, not just a, not just a student? Uh, absolutely. Uh, it really gets our student to the point where they are active. So I'll give you an example. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had a, a summer uh, that was a very violent summer in America where there was a lot of conflict that was going on in communities, especially between law enforcement and the black community. We had um, some shootings that had occurred. It was a difficult summer. And we felt that, you know, we couldn't just go start the school year and pretend nothing had happened. Um, so we launched a social justice initiative that introduced social justice themes into the arts, into debates, into curriculum. Um, so our students were able to have an opportunity to uh, debate things such as uh, immigration, gun laws, uh, the criminal justice system, the um, relationship between uh, law enforcement uh, and the community. So these are all uh, present day topics and issues uh, that are top of mind, not only for many of us, but obviously for our children and to be, be able to put them in a position where they're able to do their own research and identify solutions, I think is a, is a great way to instill um, citizenship, engagement, and relevance of the education experience mm -hmm. to the real world. So I started with Promise and took us into the debate program because it leads us right into Parkland and the students of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and February 14th of this year, when a student, Nicholas Cruz, went in, um, at the time, one of the largest mass shootings in the country's history, 17 
uh, people dead. When did you hear the news? That day was um, a day of enormous um, highs and the lowest lows um, I've had. Earlier that day, into the afternoon, um, I was at one of our high schools um, celebrating our Teacher of the Year. Uh, and we were delivering her a brand new Toyota Camry. So I had the keys to the car, we went to the school, you know, the car had a big bow on it. We had news media out there, we had her come out, we had music, the kids were playing um, and performing as well. Um, it, it, was, it was really what we celebrate in Broward County. It was a great opportunity to celebrate one of our outstanding teachers. Um, so when we completed um, that event, I got into the car, we're driving for about 10 minutes and I received a text uh, from my chief of staff, um, said that it, it appears there's um, some type of incident that's occurred at one of our high school. Um, it, they're saying it may be a shooting. Now we get things all the time. Uh, we get bomb threats, we get threats of shooting. It, it just happens. They're, you know, things that uh, pop up, they tend not to be real when we go and investigate them. Um, so there wasn't like a huge sense of alarm at the moment because it was a vague uh, message. Then he called me on the phone and I've never heard him um, so um, shaken uh, before. So I immediately went to my office. I spent about five minutes there, grabbed a couple people, uh, and we just started driving out to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School without any real details of what had occurred out there. And then I got on the phone uh, with the um, sheriff and um, started talking to him. Um, and he described uh, what um, you know, he said is the most horrific scene that he's ever uh, encountered. And you got to the school and you got to see with your own eyes as close as you, as yeah. you could get. Yes, that, uh, later, yeah, at some point uh, that day, I was able to go uh, by the, um, uh, the building where the tragedy occurred and um, you know, see, see, the, see the, 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 the horror that was there, um, seeing our children and babies, uh, you know, that were shot and still bodies on the floor in the hallway. As the nation was horrified by what happened and still trying to process what happened, another mass shooting in another school, multiple dead, it seemed as if this happened almost immediately, that the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School students mobilized and got out there and um, we got to see their activism and their passion and their poise and their, their persistence. In, in my research, I saw that one of the reasons why they were so prepared was because they had debated gun control, what, three months earlier in November. Yeah, so, so um, some of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas students that you've seen on the national stage, uh, they have benefited from uh, what you know, we consider a quality public education that we have available to all of our students in Broward County. Uh, so some of them had uh, participated uh, in the debate program. And so a few days after the shooting occurred, there was a rally at the government center in downtown Fort Lauderdale. 
And uh, one of our school board members, uh, Lori Levinson, who's a huge champion of debate, um, all three of her kids went through it. And we work together uh, very closely as we expand debate opportunities uh, around Broward County. Um, we talked and um, you know, she suggested, hey, why don't we bring some of our students so that they can actually get on the stage? Because we always hear from politicians, the community activists. So at this rally, I mean, the stage was packed. I mean, you couldn't all even squeeze um, and there was a hot, uh, hot day and um, uh, a lot of people there and we brought some of the kids. Um, so we had speaker after speaker going up and then ultimately um, we got like Emma Gonzalez and a couple others and we pushed them up to the mic and had them speak. And she had an opportunity to speak and really it kind of took off from there. And um, were, you the, were you surprised by the reaction, you said it, it took off from there. Were yeah. you surprised that it took off from there, that this uh, high, school, high school senior with the buzz cut gets in front of the microphone and just in one mm -hmm. speech, and a bunch of speeches that happened after that, changed the debate in the country? You know, I, I wasn't, um, well, yes, I was surprised at how much momentum had gotten. I wasn't surprised about um, her ability, um, what she was able to, um, say and do. Uh, you know, we are enormously proud of our, our students. Um, but for them to do what they have been doing in the face of the grief um, and in face of the challenges that they've actually had to witness and personal um, attacks each and every day um, is a testament to the courage of our kids and what they're able to do. And it should be a wake-up call, an example to all of us as adults in America that if the kids can do this, we need to have enough backbone and courage to do the right thing as well. And so, um, <clears throat> so I'm glad to see that it's, it's occurred the way it did because I firmly believe if we continued as we've always had to push um, for funds for uh, mental health, school safety, et cetera, um, it, it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, but through them and actually through um, many of the parents who lost um, a child or a loved one there, we lost uh, three employees as well, um, they were able to get our legislature um, mm -hmm. to change and pass the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School Safety Act, uh, which, yeah, which actually provided um, funds for um, school resource officers and school safety uh, personnel, uh, mental health uh, dollars, and also some dollars for um, school hardening. Um, so the, it's a start. I can tell you those dollars are woefully insufficient for what we need. So for example, $98 million allocated statewide for the entire state for um, school facility hardening. I mean, we could use multiples of that in Broward County alone, mm -hmm. but at least uh, it's a start. <clears throat> The Cape Up Podcast is sponsored by Pharma, where the 140,000 researchers with America's biopharmaceutical companies are finding new cures and treatments for diseases like hepatitis C, HIV, and diabetes. So here's to the fearlessness to fail so success can follow, and to the patients helping to find the breakthrough that might save their lives, and perhaps one day, yours. Welcome to the new era of medicine, where together we go boldly. A message from America's biopharmaceutical companies. Visit GoBoldly.com. So as a result of the, of the shooting in Parkland, 
The Promise program has come under intense scrutiny. You were asked if Nicholas Cruz had been a part of it. Initially, you said no. Um, later on, you came back and said, well, maybe there had been a, there had been a referral. People are taking that as a way to discredit and, from their perspective, dismantle the Promise program. Can you clear, clear up what's going on here? Was Nicholas Cruz a part of the Promise program? No, we reviewed everything that we can. Um, we have no evidence that he participated in the Promise program outside. But he was referred? Outside of a, re referred? A, 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 yeah, outside of a potential referral. Um, at that time that he was referred, or we have the referral statement, um, that was a couple months into the start of the Promise program in 2013. And so our systems, when a student has an infraction, automatically generates several options for um, interventions based on that uh, behavior, and Promise was one of them. Um, so it's not clear to us um, how valid that referral is, but nevertheless, that's the only connection that we have, but we don't have any evidence that he participated in the program. But that's besides the issue. This has just been a distraction issue from focusing on the main topics. Um, the Promise program, as I described to you, is an intervention program. It's a positive behavior intervention program. If Nicholas Cruz had actually participated in it, all it would have been would have been a positive for him rather than him not receiving any type of services we've had in the past. Um, so I Promise is a program that we continue to stand behind. It's a program that's benefited kids. It continues to benefit them. Um, yes, there are things that we can always improve in every single program that we have, and we're going to continue doing that. Um, I think we need to continue to um, uh, enhance curriculum there. We need to um, integrate um, and, and, and share data um, more effectively across systems that we have in the district. We have about 17 systems that capture student information, uh, discipline data. But overall, um, it's benefiting kids. We need to continue to move forward with it and, and continue to see where we can improve it. But on the case of Nicholas Cruz, so he was, as you said, potentially referred. Doesn't look like, from what you've seen so far, he participated in the program. There were, um, just from the news reports that I've seen, he was a disciplinary problem. Law enforcement had been called out to the house where he was staying many times. How is it, how is it that someone who was known to be an issue or a problem how was he able to fall through the cracks? Well, let me, let me just say this and, and, and fall through the cracks. And why, didn't law, and why yeah. didn't law enforcement jump in and do something? I'm trying to channel some folks who are saying, here was this problem kid that everybody knew about yeah. and nothing was done. Well, I, I, would, I would never say that nothing was done, right? So we can always go Monday morning quarterback, create a whole lot of what-if scenarios. Uh, one of the things I did to at least get to the heart of the matter um, and figure out what we could learn from this um, experience and what kind of accountability do we need to put in place in a district. Um, back in March, um, I worked with the school board and asked to engage an independent third party entity to do a full review of this shooter's history throughout uh, Broward County Schools. So they reviewed 16 years. We also reviewed um, the, our, our data relative to um, student discipline. Um, and that was done in the context of the fact that this student uh, was a special needs student. Um, is a, a student that had uh, emotional behavior disorder. Uh, we have completed that work. Um, I had 
committed to finishing that work by June and then releasing it to the community, we finished that work. Uh, we attempted to release that document. Uh, the shooter's attorneys um, in the public defender's office blocked us and would not allow us to release it. So we filed uh, for uh, a declaratory action um, in the courts to get some uh, fairly expedited answers on whether we can go and release the report or not. So we're asking our, our, our courts to give us the opportunity to release the report. I believe the public um, has a right to um, see it, uh, to read it, uh, to make an assessment of what um, occurred. Um, so we're hopeful that sometime within the next couple of weeks we'll be able to get a decision and hopefully be able to release this full report to the public. It, I mean, can you release this report to the public? I thought there were laws in place to keep um, the information about students that, private. Or that, well, that, that's, that's what the attorneys are, are doing. We could, what we've asked for since um, they uh, took that position is to um, get permission to release the report not necessarily all details of his you know, private medical records um, uh, and other information, but f the full report itself, uh, we want to be able to release that. And there's another report. I know there are a lot of reports being done as yeah. a result of the- A lot uh, of investigations and um, But there's, a, there's another review that uh, is underway that's looking at the, everything that happened on that day. Correct? Yeah, so you know, there's a, yeah, there are a lot. There's a, there's a Marjorie Stoneman Douglas commission that was set up um, to do a full review of this. So it's an independent body set up by the um, state um, through the uh, legislation. The governor has his own review of law enforcement um, uh, actions on that day. So that review is going on. Um, there are a couple others, but internally, uh, we're trying to do some reviews um, and investigations of our own um, to one, uh, really get an understanding of what um, the actions were of the administration, um, school safety staff, and faculty on that day. Um, we need to be able to do that, obviously, so that we can figure out if there's anything in the district that we need to change, that we can improve upon. Um, secondly, we need to hold people accountable um, to ensure whoever um, did something that they, they or, or didn't carry out actions that they should have on that day that uh, we're pr pretty clear that uh, we're not going to tolerate that and we need to make sure that we uh, take the, the right um, actions on it. So we're, we're doing this um, after action uh, post-incident review in the district as well. In addition to that, we're, you know, reviewing, um, you know, our systems. I've asked our auditors as well as part of our local school audits where we look at schools' financials, inventory, that we also uh, review um, schools' um, discipline records each year to make sure um, that they're actually doing those in compliance with um, school, uh, school board policy mm -hmm. and procedures. Um, I'm going to ask you one more question before we open it up mm -hmm. to Q&A with the audience. Um, so, Robert, good leaders go through what you've been through. You come into uh, a bad situation, as you were talking about the Broward County Schools, and you came in, you institute changes, um, seemingly radical changes. They uh, yield success. You are lauded and praised. In fact, the Promise Program served as a model for, for the Obama administration and their disciplinary um, rules that they did through the Education Department. And then something cataclysmic happens. 
and then your, your leadership and your decisions and everything that people were praising on Monday, they're criticizing on, on Tuesday. You go from praise to pummeled. How have you dealt with this, going from praised to pummeled? You know, I will, um, you know, I would say that's, that's just, you know, part of leadership. I mean, you have, um, you know, there, there are challenges that um, you, you face, um, and all that you can do is to um, stay true to uh, the things that um, you believe in, uh, which is always making decisions that uh, we believe are in the best interests of our kids um, and our community and families, uh, and, and just continue down that path. Uh, we've certainly gone through, a ch change isn't easy, I'll, I'll tell you, that's, no, one, no one likes change. So we've always um, dealt with um, challenges, we've dealt with uh, resistance, and we've tried to work um, and stay consistent and, and, and weather um, the storm. I would say I'm more of an idealist and an and, and a optimist. I, I've, I've really try to believe um, in the power of hope. So in the midst of seeing the worst of humanity, I'm also seeing the best of humanity from the um, outpouring of support all across our community and this nation um, and the world um, to seeing the activism um, of our, our, our kids um, to seeing uh, lawmakers and others having conversations on topics that they you know, wouldn't have entertained um, a few months ago. Uh, I am hopeful that through our worst and darkest days um, that we will see um, you know, some daylight around the corner and a better future for our kids uh, in this nation. So uh, I'm gonna continue to do this work, uh, continue to push for change, continue to work um, with, with our communities. I understand the um, frustration. I understand um, the anger. I understand the political um, situations that are now um, taking root as part of this um, and how this is uh, being politicized. Uh, but I think we, we need to stay focused uh, and, and try to move beyond that to the extent that we can. And so the people who are calling for your, calling for your resignation, getting, trying to get you to quit before your contract's up in October right, right. 2019? Right. I, I, I don't see any uh, reason to entertain that. I think we need to figure out how we, continue, we can work together um, as a community uh, to develop some real solutions, not point to uh, a single program or a single individual. Um, that's a playbook that goes down in this country every time we have one of these shootings and we just see them coming over and over again. You know, to talk about the Promise Program, there's no Promise Program at Sandy Hook. There's no Promise Program at Columbine. There's no uh, Promise Program at Santa Fe, Pulse Nightclub, um, the churches, um, Virginia Tech, all the places around this country. And just a couple days ago, we had a shooting that occurred um, at, a, um, at a newspaper. So this is a, a, a big problem that we've got to get our hands around as a country and start having some real um, honest uh, conversations about it. Thank you for that. And now we're going to open it up. <laughs> open it up to questions. Um, blue shirt here. Um, so um, technology <clears throat> and fine people like Sal Khan will help enormously on the content side of education. Yeah. 
What I think, I, I'd sent, uh, I'm from Africa, I'm from Zimbabwe. Quickly, I sent my please. son to one of the finest schools in this country and took him out six months later. Because even in the most expensive schools, what's lacking is pastoral care. How do you, mot how do you motivate 30,000 teachers to provide pastoral care to these 272,000 children? Are you saying pass-through care? No, pastoral. Uh, past pastoral, oh, what you say. Pastoral, pastoral care. care. Okay. Is that what you call? No, no, not spiritual. Like you know, providing them guidance, mentorship. Oh, well. <laughs> so again, I, I think that speaks to um, having a shift that we are making now in public education around these life skills that students need, right? Which essentially are these social, emotional um, skills that they need to be able to um, deal with um, challenges that they have being able to deal with um, disappointments, knowing how to struggle, knowing how to interact and work with other folks. So I, I, that's the aspect of public education that's getting a lot more attention, and I think it will address that part you're concerned with. Okay, we just have time for two questions. A question here, and then the blue shirt here, and then I'm gonna have one last question. Okay. Wonderful, thank you. Um, to tangent off of that question, I am more interested in hearing about the care of the activists that had a tragedy at their school and now are getting blasted on the internet. How are they, are, how are they getting the, the care to make sure that they come through that with a healthy mental state? Great question. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that is, so one of the things that we've done from the very beginning, it's not only just those students, it's everyone in particular in the Stoneman Douglas community, we've assigned um, family counselors, social workers to each and every one of the um, families who have um, lost a, a, a precious child or loved one um, or were actually uh, injured. We've opened resiliency centers uh, that we staff uh, with um, counselors um, and therapists across the district. Um, so, and, and we try to work and connect these families with as many resources um, as possible. So that's an ongoing part of our new uh, normal and will continue. Thank you for that question. Um, oh, great. No, no, the, this man here in the blue shirt who's been very patient. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for telling your story. Um, I, I was very struck. I think the whole nation was struck hearing uh, Emma Gonzalez's voice persist. Um, it's clear that your students are very prepared for difficult conversations and to project very wise uh, solutions and impassioned voices. So uh, my question is, there's more Emma Gonzalez's in your school system. How are you empowering them to be out there and, and being the change agents of tomorrow? Thank you for that question. Yeah, so so we, we continue to provide um, opportunities and forums for them. Uh, again, debate's one of those uh, great uh, opportunities for them to do that. Uh, we see students in other schools who are uh, getting involved in their communities. They're, they're many of them that you know, you may not see always on a stage or somewhere that they're involved in a national movement um, around uh, voter turnout for young people. Um, so the, their voices are getting out there. But the last thing I'll say about that is I, I think one of the proudest things I, uh, and, and most important things I see going on with our students is how they're reaching out to other students, not just in Broward County, but across the entire nation and engaging them, especially kids in urban systems who've been dealing with these tragedies for years on end and not receiving the same type of um, attention. So um, it's my hope that 
we'll have a, a, a closer -knit, lit, -knit, lit um, nation where folks are coming together um, and the next generation will really forge um, to, to have a nation where uh, there's a there's a common voice and agenda around improving these um, situations. So we only have about le less than four minutes left, and I want to end by asking you this question. All around the country today, there are demonstrations uh, in Washington, New York, all over the country, demonstrating everything about the Trump administration, particularly um, what's happening in terms of immigration. You're an immigrant. Yeah. from Jamaica. You came to this country with your parents when you were two or four? Or six. You were six. <laughs> Neither was right. right. But still, old. and, and your, your, your parents' former, formal education only went as far as the third grade. That's right. Does the American dream that your family pursued still exist? I think it does. But and what I'll say is that when I look today um, at how uh, the poor um, and underserved uh, seem to be left behind um, in our cities. Uh, folks in rural America uh, feel uh, forgotten. Uh, the way uh, we treat our, our, our immigrants, uh, the shame of mass incarceration uh, in this country, uh, the achievement gaps and opportunity gaps uh, that exist and, and persist in uh, public education. Um, I believe that um, these things uh, really call into to question our moral consciousness um, in this nation uh, in, in order to improve things. I think that collectively, uh, they, they, it's, it's a call to action to say, look, as a country, we can and must do better uh, than what we're, we're doing now. Um, I, I believe that all of these protests, all of these conversations that we've had here um, this week at um, the Ideas Festival um, and that continue around the country, I am hopeful um, that we'll, we'll get um, uh, better. I was listening to a piece of James uh, uh, Comey's comments this morning. He's actually reading one of the same books I'm reading John Meacham's The Soul of mm -hmm. America. And it talks about how we've been through these um, periods and even worse. So when you take a look at history, um, the trajectory is up. The country's continued to move uh, and improve, uh, but we've got to be able to learn uh, from these um, challenges that we have. And I believe it's through um, um, challenges that test us that make us better and stronger. Um, so as we go through a lot of our challenges in, in Broward County, um, as we go through our pain and grief and turmoil, um, I believe that we'll come out at the other end as a stronger community. And I believe um, these things that are testing us nationally will make us a better um, nation as we continue to uh, pursue the American dream. Robert Runcie, superintendent of the Broward County Schools, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.